It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Well, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. I'll grab this, we'll set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? I mean, who are those guys, right? <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, is this made up, right? That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't happen. Like, who could do that four years in jail? I mean, I, I see that, and it's like, well, yeah, okay, I'm inspired by it. Um, I've seen it a lot of times. But I, 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 even now, I got just a little bit misty, you know, watching it. But I'm like, I mean, good for them. But that's not for me, right? I mean, forgiveness is the worst, isn't it? Forgiveness feels like death. And for those, for those of you who have been truly hurt by someone else, let down, betrayed, abandoned, abused, I mean, for some, for some of you, even just hearing the word forgiveness and automatically uh, that sort of triggers some, some terrible memory. It, it replays the, the trauma in your life. Nathan, you have no idea what I've been through. Do I really have to forgive? And we all know forgiveness is a good idea, right? 
I mean, there's no doubt, right? We, we know that. We know bitterness kills us. Bitterness destroys marriages and families and, and businesses and communities, right? And, and souls, right? We know, we know how terrible bitterness is. But do I have to? And, and if you're at all familiar with the teachings of, of Jesus, you probably also know that you're supposed to forgive. I mean, I, honestly, I have, I have nothing, nothing new to teach you, to show you this morning. It's not going to stop me um, from talking. <laughs> but do I really have to? Do I have to forgive? You know, that was Peter's question. I mean, isn't it interesting? Even, even the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus, of Jesus, even they had the same question because they, they had the same hurts, right? The same broken relationships, the same brutality of, of living, living in a broken world. And so even they asked. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 18. If you want to follow along in the middle there, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. But, but why, why all of a sudden are we talking about forgiveness? Well, you see, last week, you know, we, we've been studying Matthew for a while, but last week we, we moved into uh, a new, kind of a new section of Matthew. And so we've seen that, yes, Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, and nothing is going to stop him from getting there. And we're not that far off from his, his, final, his final week. But before his final week, there's three chapters in which Jesus teaches his disciples, teaches us, here's what it looks like to follow this king. Here, here's what it looks like to, to live in this, this kingdom Here's what it looks like for us. So last week, Jesus showed us what does it mean to follow? It looks like childlike faith. We spent our time there as Jesus looked, unpacked what that looks like, what that means for us. This week, it looks like forgiveness. And, and in this, this day and age, we're desperate for it. We know it. We know our world is falling apart because of lack of it. But one of the things that's really interesting about how Jesus sort of enters into this forgiveness conversation, it's not probably where many of us would think. It's not with like, well, we just need to be nicer to one another. It's not, it's not you know, just sweep the pain under the rug, get over it. It wasn't that bad. That's not, that's not where Jesus begins. In fact, instead, Jesus begins this understanding of forgiveness with the idea of confrontation. Look at, look at verse 15. First thing Jesus says on this subject, he says, if your brother or sister, uh, and so essentially Jesus is talking to the community of, of faith, right? People who hold to these things. Obviously there are implications for those outside and, and, and how, what it looks like and how we ought to forgive those who aren't followers of Jesus. But specifically here, he's, he's addressing those who are. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, You've gained your brother. You see, the first thing that we learned this morning about forgiveness is that forgiveness confronts real sin. Forgiveness confronts real sin. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we struggle to forgive as a society, one of the reasons why we have so much anger and bitterness and distress is because we no longer have a category to call sin, sin. To, to say that what you have done is morally reprehensible that, that you've hurt me, not just me, but you've, you've done something wrong in the, in the eyes of a, of a knowing, watching, just, but loving God. Any, anymore, we tend to think of forgiveness about 
you know, it's about sweeping the pain under the rug. It's about minimizing your hurt. Oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, I'll suck it up and, and sort of move on. That's, that's kind of how we tend to, to, tend to think of forgiveness. We forget that forgiveness involves real wrong, real pain. I mean, even, even just, for example, think about how you would respond if someone had the courage to apologize to you. Somebody comes up to you and says, I'm sorry I hurt you. How would you respond to that? I would guess most of us, myself included, would say like, ah, it's okay. No big deal. It's fine. I'll be fine, right? Not, I forgive you. Which, which maybe feels like just a subtle difference. And yet, by, by sort of implicitly denying that something terrible actually happened, you're giving yourself permission to hold on to the anger because you know it's not okay even though you just said it was. And you're not really releasing them from their guilt because they know it's not okay because that's, that's why they came to you to apologize. With, without real wrong, there can be no real forgiveness. And without forgiveness, I mean, just look at the mess we're in, Right? I mean, individually, like in our, own, in our own closest relationships, but broader than that, in the world in which we live, in which there's so much pain, people sin against you and it hurts. It's, it's terrible before you and, and before God. And you don't have to be okay with it. If your brother or sister sins against you, Go and tell him his fault. It's not, it's not judgmental. Okay, it can't, it can't be done with, with self-righteousness or arrogance because you're such a better person. Of course, of course, it can't come with that. It, it, it always has to be restorative, not punitive, right? But if you've really been wronged, this is the first step towards forgiveness. Take the fault seriously. Don't sweep it under the rug. Label it for what it is. It was, it was sin. And sin is morally reprehensible, not just in your eyes, but in God's. Call it what it is. And, and Jesus even, he kind of tells us how here, right? If you follow along in, in chapter 18, I mean, look what he says. He says, first, you know, go to the person, right? Uh, which implies don't gossip about it. Don't stew over it. Don't let a lot of time elapse there. Talk about it with the individual, Okay, but if that doesn't work, do I still have to forgive? Well, then next Jesus says, right, in, the, in this sort of scenario, then you, you bring somebody along so the person can understand, like, are they not understanding that what they did is wrong? Do they need others to understand, to, to show them the, the weight of, of what they've done? Well, if that doesn't work, do I still have to forgive? Well, then Jesus says, then you bring in the community of the believers. You, you bring in more people to say, no, what you have done to me is wrong and, and something needs to happen as a result. And of course, again, it's not, it's not punitive. It's always restorative. It's always for the good of both parties involved. But Jesus says, go and, and tell them together. And if, if that doesn't work, do I still have to forgive? Well, then Jesus says, if that doesn't work, then you treat that individual like a, a Gentile or a tax collector. Whew, doesn't mean I'm off the hook, right? Because, I mean, if you, know, if you know, like, the story here, I mean, Gentiles and tax collectors, right? That's, that's, that's pretty harsh what Jesus is saying. That means, that means if there's someone in your life that you've done this, like you've, you've said, no, this is, this is wrong and, and we need to make it right, and you brought others into it and they, they've agreed with you, no, this is wrong and you need to make it right, and they still refuse, 
to own up to what they've done, then Jesus says, then you can, you can just sort of assume that that person has, not met, has met, not met Jesus. Just assume that they're not a Christian. Because people who've met Jesus don't act like that. People, people who've met Jesus respond when, when, when they see their guilt and their shame, right? That, that's, that's what he's getting at. And it is, it is pretty harsh, and yet, how does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Hmm, right. I mean, they're kind of some of his favorites in this story, aren't they? He chases them with forgiveness. Pursues them, runs after them, right? He longs to love, to love them, to care for them. Always chasing forgiveness and, and restoration. Okay, Jesus, all right. But, but if that doesn't work... Do I still have to forgive? And now you kind of sound like Peter. Because that's how, that's how Peter responds, right? Peter's there, the disciples, they, they hear this. Jesus has just walked through, do this, then this, then this. And if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, and that doesn't work. And finally, you know, Peter's just like, I mean, he, he says right, right there, he says, um, comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Peter says. Which, you know, like, you just know in that moment, Peter's like, watch this, guys. You know, I'm going to impress Jesus. I mean, that, because really, I mean, if you've been hurt, like, seriously hurt by another person, seven times feels ridiculous, doesn't it? It feels like way over and above any sort of human limitation, right? Seven times. And Jesus is like, oh, that's cute, Peter. That's cute. Try again. Try again. And Jesus I'm not sure what just happened there. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus says to Peter in response to this, right? Peter expecting a, a pat on the back. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of you, your Bible might say 77. Some might say seven times 70. It's because ancient numbers are, are they're tricky to translate, right? Of, of what exactly is going on there. And so some of you, maybe you hear that and be like, was it 77 or 490, right? How many times do I have to forgive? Tell me, tell me the minimum, right? And then I'll know, then I'll be okay. And I mean, obviously you laugh because of course that's not the point. What Jesus is saying here is there's, there's no magic number. Then instead of, instead of labeling it, instead for, for Jesus, forgiveness is limitless. There is, there is no number behind it. it. It knows no limits. Not for those who follow him. So yes, forgiveness confronts real sin. But forgiveness also knows no limits. Yeah, but Nathan, if I do that, I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. Probably. Now, now Jesus, he's not, he's not saying in this, with it being limitless, that there's no boundaries, Right? He's not saying that you invite abuse, that you somehow enable another person to hurt you. Of course not. Because forgiveness is for your good and for theirs. And like inviting somebody to sin against you over and over, that's not for their good. That doesn't, that doesn't help them. And so having, having boundaries, that's, I mean, it's like, so if, you're, if your spouse, you know, cheats on you over and over again, 
or, or, is, it, or is addicted to, to pornography, the, the response there, it's not good for that person if you say, well, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. It's no big deal. It's fine. It's okay. I forgive you. I forgive you. No. Because allowing them to continue to sit, to make easy, forgiveness always seeks the good of the other person, always. And it's never good for them to, to be invited into more and more sin, right? It's destructive. And so, of course, of course, there are boundaries. And yet, even with the best boundaries, forgiveness, real forgiveness, the kind that Jesus tells us to pursue is always risky. There are never guarantees. And there's a really good chance you'll be hurt again. But come on. Do I really have to forgive? Like, Jesus, just give me an answer, right? Just tell me yes or no. Do I have to do this? And of course, Jesus there, he's like, you know, let me, let me tell you a story. That's how he likes to get to some of his points, right? Once upon a time, there was a king, Jesus says. Not quite, but you can follow along in, in verse, verse 23. And Jesus says this, this king or this master, he wants to balance his books, right? And there's one particular servant who owes him a lot of money, right? Uh, 10,000 talents, and he calls this servant before him. 10,000 talents, that means nothing to us, uh, but historians, scholars would say that's, that's roughly 20 years wages for a servant. Take your salary, multiply by 20, that's what this guy owes. It's kind of a lot. Now, I can't I can't explain to you why exactly uh, this king thought it was a good idea to lend that kind of money to a servant. Um, <laughs> seems seems ill-advised, but that's not the point, right? The, the point is, the point is that Jesus is making is that this servant owes more than he can ever, 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 ever in his lifetime repay. Like there's just no chance, no way ever he's going to pay this back. And so the, the master, the king, he's, he's, he's going to make the best of it, Right? He wants to get at least something back on his failed investment in this guy. And so he says to him, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your kids and all of your possessions to at least get something back for what I've done. And so the servant, Jesus says, fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. I mean, like, like he has any chance. Right? There, there's no way that he could possibly pay this debt. And yet, even so, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Can you believe that? I mean, what, what, would that what would that be like? 20 years wages forgiven. Not a let's set up a payment plan and make this work, right? No, he just wipes his books clean, your debt is gone. Imagine, I mean, put yourself in that guy's shoes. Imagine walking home from that meeting. Right? You've been carrying this debt for who knows how long, right? Knowing you have no chance of paying it off, knowing that this day is coming. You've been dreading it, right? Let's talk about sleepless nights, right? And now, now this guy, he's just said, you're, you're done for. You and your family, you're never again going to see the light of day. I'm, I'm selling you. And then to experience all of that, thinking your life was over, and walking out not owing a cent. What would, that, what would that be like for you? But on his way home, 
picture like singing and dancing, can't wait to tell his wife and kids, right? But on his way home, he just happens to run into someone who owes him money. 20 weeks wages. At first, you know, a low level today because it's a fellow servant, maybe 15 grand. All right, or take, take your salary and think of what's 20 weeks. Which, if you're doing the math, that's a lot of money, right? And that, that's really important. Jesus isn't saying that when you forgive somebody, it doesn't cost you. Like, it doesn't hurt. It's not that big of a deal. No, this is, this is a big sum that this guy owes him. It is not nothing. 20 weeks wages. It's a lot. Of course, it's not even in the same universe as 20 years wages. And so this man, the forgiven man, grabs him and chokes him yells at him, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Which sounds familiar, right? But he refuses and he has the man thrown into prison. Of course, like news gets out, right? The master hears about this and he calls this forgiven servant into his office and the master says to him you wicked servant I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts in other words forever and in in case Anybody misses the point? Like, I don't think really Jesus has to do this, but he's like, okay, so disciples, what's the moral of the story, right? He, he, he tells them. So also, this, Jesus is saying this to, his, to us, his followers, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me translate. Do I really have to forgive? Of course you don't. You don't have to forgive. I mean, Jesus gives a very clear alternative, doesn't he? Jesus says forgive or go to hell. You don't, you don't have to forgive. But if, if you don't, Jesus, and he, does, he couldn't make it any plainer, could he? You don't have to forgive, but if you don't, you will go to hell. Well, is that all? Wow. I mean, my goodness. I mean... It's that big of a deal? This leads us to the third thing. So yes, first of all, forgiveness confronts real sin. Yes, forgiveness is limitless, but don't miss this last one. It's so important. Forgiveness, forgiveness reveals your heart. Forgiveness shows what's in here, what's going on. Jesus, I mean, he's not saying that you, that you earn forgiveness, by being forgiving, that God will love you if you forgive others. That's not, that's not what's happening here. But what Jesus is saying is that forgiven people forgive. That's just what they do. Like the forgiven people forgive. Jesus doesn't have a category for, for someone who has had their debts against God paid. They're, they're, they're slate white clean to be forgiven by the God of the universe and that person not to extend mercy to somebody else. Jesus doesn't have a category for that. He doesn't, like that, that couldn't possibly happen, Right? And so your ability or inability to forgive those who hurt you 
It reveals whether or not you've tasted forgiveness yourself. Whether or not you've been forgiven. Because our debt against God, and this, this is the point, our debt is insurmountable. God made you. And God is holy and perfect and righteous. And we, his creatures, who owe him everything as, as his creation, I mean, we, we run from him, we hide from him, we ignore him, we, we, we pretend we're our own gods, we spit in his face, right? We totally reject him most of the time. We can never pay back that debt. Ever. And yet because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection... He chases us with forgiveness. And so when someone sins against you, no matter what they've done, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing your pain or their crime, not, neither would Jesus. And yet, I mean, if this is true, if this is what the God of the universe has forgiven you and me, that, that means that no one, no one can ever hurt you more than you've already hurt God. No one can ever offend you more than you've offended him. No one could ever owe you more than you owe him. And if you can't forgive, it's because you have no idea the kind of forgiveness he offers you. You have no idea how big your debt has been against this holy God. You have no idea what it feels like for him to say, you're forgiven. but Nathan, you don't know what I've been through. You're right, I don't, for many of you. I'm sure for some of you, it's, it's been awful. I have no idea what you've been through, and if you, if, if you want to tell me, I'll listen, I'll weep with you, um, and we as a church will do whatever we can to, to help you move along this path. We don't expect it. Jesus is not saying it's like easy, right? It's over and done with. No, of course not. If, if we can help you with counseling or, or, or whatever that looks like in you, we, we want to journey with you in that. But you're right, I have no idea what you've been through. But you and I have no idea what God has been through. Watching his creatures day in and day out destroy ourselves and each other over and over and over again. Running from him. And still he chases us with forgiveness. C.S. Lewis writes, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Forgiven people forgive. I mean, forgiveness, it is, it is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's, it's core to everything that we believe and hold our, our lives upon. So we, we have no choice, not really. Not a choice worth making anyway, which means you and I better get with it. We better figure out how to move along this very difficult path towards forgiveness. And so as we think about this morning, let me just ask three questions for us, not to, not to solve it. I mean, let's not be naive, right? But three questions just to get us thinking about what are the steps that I need to take to actually move to a place in, in which I'm, I'm forgiving the people that have hurt me. Um, three, three things. First, three questions. You've got to ask yourself, has Jesus forgiven me? Don't assume that he has. I mean, if you find it impossible to forgive, right, if your life is characterized, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, if it's characterized by bitterness and anger towards others, if that's what lives in here, 
It could be because you've never experienced his forgiveness. Have you come to him? Have you, have you confessed your sins to him, knowing, knowing that you're confessing a debt that you could never possibly repay? Not in a way that's like, well, I'll be good enough this time, I'll do better, right? To actually confess, to own up, to, Jesus, I have, I have failed you. And there's nothing I can possibly ever do to receive your love. Would you, would you be merciful to me? And place your trust in him and know, know the forgiveness that he offers. You have to start here. You, you have to start here. And honestly, too, if you're, if you're here this morning, you're not, you're not a Christian. I mean, we're re- really glad you're here. We want to be a place, a safe place, to be able to work through these things, to wrestle through them, and ask, ask good, thoughtful questions uh, together. But, but Jesus, as I said, he's specifically talking to believers here, people who identify with Christ. And, and so if you... If you find yourself struggling to forgive, if you find yourself consumed with anger, or you just look out at our world and think, man, something, something has got to change, you have to start here. With his forgiveness, no one motivates or empowers us towards forgiveness like Jesus. If you, if you can't answer this question, the other two are just, just going to frustrate you and make it harder. Has Jesus forgiven you? Okay, second, second question. I feel like I don't even really have to ask it. I mean, I would guess that most of us have gone, gotten there on our own. Uh, it's the question of who, right? Who do you need to forgive? And whose forgiveness do you need to seek? Because this, I mean, let's be honest. We are both, all of us, every person in this room, we are both victims as well as the problem, right? Perpetrators. Because we've hurt people. We've let them down, abandoned, betrayed, abused, and we've experienced those things ourselves. Picture, picture that person or those individuals, the, the ones that are, that are most pressing in your life, the ones that are, that are most difficult. And I would guess for, for many of us, it's the person sitting next to you. I mean, isn't it true that we often hurt most the people closest to us? You know it's going to destroy you, Right? It could be with your spouse, your parent, right? Child, sibling. Right? Maybe your friend or your, or your roommate and you feel the alienation, you feel the drift. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't take these steps, you know it's gonna, it's gonna kill you. It's gonna destroy you. And Jesus says the stakes are, are a lot higher than simply that, that relationship. For others, maybe it's a, a parent, maybe it's somebody you're no longer friends with, your ex, a coworker. Forgiven people forgive. It's what we do. So the last question then. Once you know who, what are you going to do about it? What's, what's it going to be? It can't be nothing, right? Not, not, if, you, not if you really are going to take his, his words seriously. Not if you really, if, if, if you're taking Jesus at what he says as serious as it is, what are you going to do about it? Make a plan. Make it now. Like, don't, don't, don't wait any longer than you already have. Maybe, for some of you, maybe it's, it's just a hard conversation that has to happen. For others, it's, maybe it's more of a decision. Like, you just have to decide, I, I am going to pursue forgiveness. I'm going to grab onto it. You may not feel like it, but you're going you're gonna to make every possible effort towards it. For others, maybe, honestly, maybe it's counseling. For some of us, our hurts are too deep. We cannot, we cannot tackle them alone. And for some, it's, you'll spend your entire life trying to figure out how to forgive. Whatever it is, it cannot be nothing. 
what will, what will it be for you? I mean, for some of you, it's, it's later on this afternoon. I, I pray that this happens for some. You just, you turn to whoever it is, and you just say, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. Have mercy on me. Like, own it, right? Own what you've done. If you've hurt somebody else, somebody, you, you own it for what it is. I have, have mercy on me. And if you hear those words, would you please respond, I forgive you. And that, that doesn't mean it's over and done with, right? Let's not be naive. Let's, let's, not, let's not pretend that we just go back to sweeping another rug. No, of course not. In fact, I love how an organization called Peacemakers describes forgiveness. They define it in terms of a promise, which feels so much more realistic, more accurate than just a, you know, I forgive you. It's, it's, yeah, we can move completely on, right? It's, forgiveness instead is a promise, in fact, they say that when you say I'm sorry, you're promising four things. Or when you say I forgive you, you're promising four things. One, you're promising I, I won't dwell on that incident anymore. Because sometimes we say, you know, forgive and forget, which I think we probably all know is a load of garbage, right? Um, there's a really good chance you're not going to forget, especially, especially the big stuff, right? You're not going to forget, but you refuse to dwell on it, to obsess over it. Second, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Again, it's not like it's, it's, not like it's over and done with. Uh, often you have to keep forgiving, like even the same wrong because the pain persists. It's not like I forgive you and we're done. Like I forgive you and yes, again today, still I, I'm, I'm embracing forgiveness. Sometimes the pain persists, but you refuse to empower it, to let it control you. Number three, I will not talk about it, uh, with, um, talk about this incident with others. Okay, and that doesn't mean that you can't pursue counseling, certainly, but this is the kind of talking about it that just sort of is a sort of a doom loop where you're just hearing what you want to hear, right? Where it becomes much more of a gripe session than anything productive. And four, I will not allow this incident to sta- stand between us and hinder our relationship. And quite simply, you just refuse to let it define the relationship. It's, it's not the defining piece anymore. And I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's not. Never is. Forgiveness feels like death. But if my God can forgive me, the debt that I have against him, there's no one I can't forgive. Because forgiven people forgive. And if you don't, I mean, Jesus, Jesus says it, right? So also my heavenly Father will do to you, to every one of you, he says, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, I've never, I've never felt this more severely um, than when I was uh, in Rwanda this past April. Some of you, some of you are aware uh, that we, we, as a church here in Olathe, Christ Community, we are, are tightly connected uh, to the church in Rwanda, to what God is doing there. And in fact, if you're, if you're curious about that, if you want to find out more, we're going to have a lunch after church next Sunday, um, just right after the third service, and spend some time talking about why, why we're connected there, what it looks like for us as a church to care globally, um, and, and what kind of work they're, they're doing uh, in that place. I hope that you can, can join us for that. Um, but, but some of you are aware, right, and we talked about this a couple months ago, that, I mean, 22 years ago, it's not that long ago, there was, there was terrible genocide. Like over a million people were brutally murdered by their friends and neighbors. I mean, people that they lived next to, right, that they worked with, that they had been friends with up until that point. 
And there, there are hundreds of thousands of these perpetrators, these murderers who, who committed such atrocious acts. I mean, just imagine rebuilding after that. I mean, imagine, imagine the role of the church in a, in a community that's been so shattered. So now, so now, while we were visiting, they have these places called reconciliation villages. That's, that's their term for them. Here's, here's one that we visited while we were there, spent a, a little bit of time in a very, very rainy and muddy morning. Um, there in this reconciliation village. And basically what, what those are, I mean, this is the simple uh, description, uh, but they were built by the prisoners, uh, who, the people who committed the genocide, the murderers. Um, and, and those who, who are the survivors, uh, the victims, are invited to live in there. It's sort of like their recompense, right? And they, you get to go and you get to live in this home. And many of these survivors, they lost everyone. I mean, the genocide was nearly total. Um, they lost most of their entire families. Um, and then also the refugees who left during that time are invited to live back because they, were, they would have been killed if they hadn't, hadn't left. And so they're, they're invited to live in these, in these villages. Um, and now, you know, 20 years later, the prisoners are beginning to be released. Actually, that started even, even 10, 12 years ago. And, and these murderers are invited to live in the same villages like literally next door to the people whose families they slaughtered. Which, I mean, sounds like a really bad idea, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, it sounds impossible. It sounds, it sounds made, made up, right? But I'm not exaggerating. I've seen, in fact, our partners are, are planting a church in this, this village here. I think we had a picture there. Um, this, they're building a church there because they know that that kind of forgiveness, like it is not, it's not human, Right? Like, you need something more than your own energy, your own effort, your own ability to, to let by. I mean, I mean, think about that. It sounds absolutely impossible. But here's, here's one such story, one such pair of neighbors. Let's, let's watch. Teranizaga Hamu Haria, Kakoramiji Terra de Joguhura Nabo, Umu Akayenda Vogumu, Yahemuchi, Nivia Mukore, Aruko Tujitiniana, No Neho, Paka Bagahaguta, Unduze, Wakore, Ivinuvi, No Neho, Pakamuaza, Niwakoko, Ashakuavari. Nimisimishi <laughs> Nawa <laughs> Bagitio Vogao, 
ubwo Josele yaravuze ati aba bantu niba bareze bakemera icya koko bakabwira imana bakabikura ku mutima akababivuga nkuko biri ngiye rwose niyemeje kubabarira ubu narababarire ubwo abo bantu bose bavuze gutyo uwo munsi bahise badufata turahoberana A million people and more died at the hands of their neighbors. And you come back 12 years after, and you see people going to the same churches, going to the same markets, going together to the same schools, and they are not fighting. That level of peace is the first sign that reconciliation is in the process. I don't know whether there is any other case like the Rwandan case where you have the victims and perpetrators living together in the same neighborhood, on the same hills and communities after genocide. I think it has never happened anywhere. We have rebuilt the roads, we've rebuilt the schools, we've rebuilt the hospitals, but rebuilding the hearts of people remain the big challenge. Forgiveness is not human. Divine. And Rosaria lives in the house that Severi built for her, um, in the same, in the same neighborhood. And I know, in some ways, like hearing a story like that is so extreme. It seems so far removed from reality, doesn't it? I mean, it's 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 hard to imagine anything more extreme than that. And yet, I know of one. God forgives us. We who owe a debt we could never repay. An infinite debt against an infinite God because, because of our sin, and yet he paid that debt. And yes, yes, forgiveness, it feels like death. For you to forgive, for me to forgive. I mean, is there, anything, is there anything more painful? And it can cost us everything. Forgiveness feels like death, and yet for God to forgive, it actually required his death. Forgiveness is never free. And those, those of you who have been truly hurt, you know that. You know that nobody ever just says, I forgive, right? If there's always, if, if true wrong has happened, by, by forgiving someone, you, you're taking, you're refusing to retaliate. You're owning their own, the betrayal that you've had. You're feeling that and it's, it's not gonna go away, right? In fact, Brene Brown writes, there's no forgiveness without blood on the floor, that's so true for us. And again, those of you who have walked this path, you know there's always a cost with forgiveness. But it was also true for Jesus. And he paid that cost with his blood so that you and I could live forgiven and forgiving. And just imagine if we, his people, his community, like this foretaste of his kingdom that we are, what if we actually live this out, right? Can you imagine? Like, what would, what would it look like for a community of people to actually live this kind of radical forgiveness? A, a community in which divorce was unthinkable. A, a community in which bitterness and retaliation was non-existent, right? Where, where racism and, and, you know, judgmentalism, self-righteousness, none, none of it had a place. Imagine what that would do in our world if that was his people. I don't know what you've been through. But Jesus does. And even Jesus, on the, night, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Judas was there, right? Judas the betrayer. 
And even there, like, Jesus offers him the forgiveness meal. And he offers it to us. And so in just a moment, we're going to come to this forgiveness table to remember what what Jesus has done for us, the price that he paid for our own forgiveness, remembering that because we've received mercy, we too can be merciful. But before we come, why don't we take just a a minute or two. Um, I'm guessing most of us have some work to do, like internally. So why don't we put those questions uh, back up there? Why don't we just take a minute or two quietly uh, to pray through these, these questions, especially that last one. Like, what's the next step for you coming out of this time together this morning? Let's pray.